The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing good today. Moving towards spring, eventually the weather will catch up, so we'll just bear with that. But um, hey, before we jump into uh, our text today, I want to say thank you. We've had a bunch of people volunteering the last kind of week and a half and even coming up this week uh, just to to improve kind of the exterior and and do different projects that need to be done. There's been a bunch of people that have have stepped up and and made that happen throughout the week. I just want to say thank you. Um, I don't think it's any small thing that people come out to make that happen. So would you give them a hand for serving and and, uh, doing that? Appreciate it immensely. We're ending our series today called Connect the Dots. And the the goal of this series has been to talk about our code or our core values and how it applies to what we do, how it plays out in uh, the church. And so we've been walking through that today. We're going to wrap it up uh, and we'll talk about the last two of our code. But um, as we do that, we're going to be in John chapter 11. If you're looking for a spot in scripture to land, John 11 and then John chapter 12. So you uh, you can turn there. Um, if, if you put bubble wrap in front of some of us, um, we, we get what's called the I can't help it. And, um, and, and, and we pop that bubble wrap. Others, um, it's like if you put, uh, for me, it would be uh, if you put a box of donuts in front of me, I'm about to get the I can't help it. Um, and so preferably with some coffee or a glass of milk. Um, others, you know, it, it could be maybe it's like you, you put something like kale in, in front of, of you and, and you want to like light it on fire and kick it as far away from you can uh, as you can. And that, that works. Others, it would be maybe it's Netflix. And what you do is you put on a show and then by 4 a.m. you've watched the whole season and you can't help it. And so uh, you, you end up having to go to work early in the morning and you're too tired and you ruin your career and you can't help it. And that's just how that goes. But anyway, um, so, but I love how there's another example of the, I can't help it. Jeremiah in chapter 20, there's a point where he talks about if you were to force me to not talk about God, talk about my faith, talk about what I'm supposed to say, I, I can't help. I'm compelled to share it. And I want to talk about that today because in so many ways, the idea of I can't help it is a negative thing. And yet the good side of it has to do with that. And in John chapter 11 and 12, I want to paint a bit of a picture as we get to it here, uh, starting in verse 55 of John 11, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders to anyone who found out where Jesus was, that they should report it so they might arrest him. Six days after the Passover, chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I'm going to skip a little bit here and head to verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day... The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things that had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus, today, um, we invite your Holy Spirit to do a work in all of us. I pray for clarity as we navigate through this text. And, and, and God, I pray for your convicting work in our hearts, that there's a certain ownership that you want us to have. And I believe through the work, through the power, through the, the uh, empowerment of your Holy Spirit, God, there's something that can happen as we own those things you would ask us to own about this text. God, challenge us. Let us walk out together this journey as a church because we believe your word wants to. You convict. Your Holy Spirit wants to empower us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you get to the end of John chapter 11, Jesus has been doing ministry for quite some time. And, and as he's doing ministry, one of the things he's taught the crowds, there's different miracles that have been performed. And, and you get to the point where not too long before this very text, Jesus went to the house of Mary and Martha and their brother, brother Lazarus. But Lazarus wasn't alive when Jesus got there. In fact, the, the sisters had called him to come, please, because their brother was very sick. Well, at, at this point, when Jesus shows up, Lazarus has been in the tomb for a bunch of days, and, and many of us are aware of what's about to happen, but he calls Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus comes back from the dead, and of course, everybody is kind of freaking out at this miracle that has happened. Well, fast forward not too long from then, days, maybe a few weeks from there, people have been talking about this miracle over and over, and as they near what's called the celebration of Passover, where the Jews would gather to celebrate the redemption or the escape of, of Israel from captivity in Egypt, they celebrated the Passover because of God's faithfulness. Well, right before the Passover, Lazarus was raised from the dead. So you can imagine people are talking about this miracle. People are wondering like, where's Jesus? I want to see him. I want to, I want to watch a miracle happen. Or I want to see Lazarus because Lazarus was dead and now Lazarus is alive. And this is kind of the buzz that's happening as you look at this text. It says when it was almost time for the Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover, the actual festival. It says they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? Which really for males in, in you know, Israeli society back then for the Jews, you, you came to Passover, you're required to celebrate the Passover. So he would be coming. Now, as you continue on, it says the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus shows up to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, but he's not there yet. In fact, he was invited to a party in his honor for raising their brother from the dead. Like that's a pretty worthy party to go to, right? Um, and so they're going to honor Jesus. Jesus shows up at this party in Bethany. And, and it says in that moment, the verses that I skipped a little bit ago, what would be where they're celebrating Jesus 
And Mary, in her gratitude for her brother being alive and this miracle that has happened, grabs this jar of perfume and pours it over Jesus and, and is bowing in kind of repentance as well as worship as she wipes her hair on his feet. And it was a prophetic kind of view that happens of preparation for his burial. And while maybe they didn't fully understand that, that's how John describes that event. It says then that meanwhile, verse nine, a large crowd of Jews found out. And what I want you to pick up on, I'm going to hone in on this specifically. There's all kinds of messages you can get from this text. But what I want you to hone in on is over and over and over, people are talking about Jesus. People are talking about this miracle. People are talking about Lazarus and, 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 and Jesus and things they've heard about the feeding of the 5,000 more than one time, about eyes being open, about hands growing out and working, about leprosy being cured, about lame people walking. People are talking about all that, that Jesus is doing and they're marveling and sure they want to show up and see a miracle. They want some sort of proof or to witness that Jesus is this guy or that Lazarus really was dead and now is alive. But people are abuzz about who Jesus is. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out again, talking that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but because Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And then verses 10 and 11, it says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going to Jesus and believing in him. We've said before, as you walk through scripture, what you find is first they're annoyed by Jesus and then they're upset and then they're angry and then they're furious and then they just plain want him killed. Well, they've reached the point here where they're like, well, let's make sure he gets killed and apparently now we need to kill Lazarus too. I mean, you wanna talk about the deception that the enemy can do do in the lives of the human heart, which by the way, while you and I would go, I would never be guilty of that. What about the fact that there are times where we hear about who Jesus is and we surrender our lives, but down the road, some way we become deceived in one way or another, believing something that isn't true. Deception is a subtle thing. And most of the time in your life and my life, the enemy doesn't show up with some sort of deer hooves and horns and a giant, you know, red, you know, appearance and go, I'm the devil, sir me. And here's the religious crowd that, again, it started subtly. Murmurings of some guy that can do miracles, murmurings of some teaching that they kind of didn't like at first, that later on would lead to they want him dead. We can all go, I would never be guilty, but what about the progression of your faith? And does it continue to grow in maturity? Does it continue to be shaped the way that it needs to be on this journey? Or do you find yourself becoming maybe a little passive, maybe excusing things that scripture might call sin, but you justify why it's okay for you. And again, little by little, that road is a subtle one that can lead to the destruction of our own lives spiritually. It's a reminder, a little bonus sermon, but it's still a great reminder for all of us. It says this in verse 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And it says that Jesus at that point uh, found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This was all prophetic. And what they were declaring when they said the word Hosanna was he saves, the Lord saves. 
And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They were bowing, waving palm branches in homage, even in worship to Jesus at this point. The religious crowd would not have appreciated this moment. The religious leadership would have been upset that this was happening. And it says that Jesus got on a colt donkey and came into Jerusalem. And as they're waving these palm branches and making this declaration, it was fulfilling both Hosea in the Old Testament, as well as Zechariah in chapter nine, verse nine. This was prophetic. Also, just a little side note here on understanding the idea of a colt. It was the idea of a king coming in peace. And yet the religious crowd, the religious leadership of Jesus' day would say, he's not coming in peace, he's deceiving you. And yet again, it's that condition of the human heart that can become so fickle because even the crowd who at this point would worship would then six days later yell what? Anyone? Crucify him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Six days later, five days later, crucify him. This is the crowd that was manipulated once again by the religious leaders that, that would put him on trial and unjustly condemn Jesus to be killed. But it says this, and I love this, at first his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. This is a theme over and over for the disciples. Over and over, they hear Jesus teach certain things. They see certain things that happen. They wonder about who he is, but they don't understand. And this is another one of those until later on. Now, verse 17 says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And, and one of the things that strikes me when you read this text is, it's not the disciples that are spreading the word. It's people that, that, that they're not sure what to believe, but that Jesus is some sort of figure that's a big deal. And, and, and just a note for you and I, in the world that we live in, sometimes what happens is for many of us in this room that would say that we're followers of Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Jesus, the, the world can talk more about Jesus than we do. The world can say things about, about whoever Jesus is more than we can. And, and, and it really ought to be an indictment for all of us because here's what happened. In Jesus' day, you go, yeah, but Jesus raised, raised Lazarus from the dead. I've never done that. And what we play is I'm just a normal Christian. If I had raised someone from the dead, maybe I would have the authority to shine light. Maybe I would have the authority to own the Great Commission. But I'm just kind of getting through this life and I'll get to heaven someday and it'll all be good. Now I can say that in a way that feels very, very heavy or very condemning, but the challenge is this. What we do is we set aside our personal ownership of the Great Commission. The need for you and I to understand you and I are living miracles. You and I are meant to shine light. And yet we play the card all the time. I'm just a normal human being. There's nothing miraculous about my life. Do you really believe God thinks that about you? Do you really believe that you're just simply here to exist and go through the motions and surrender your life and eventually get to heaven? See, in our code, we say this, we are serious about the saving work of Jesus Christ. We know the methods will change, but the message never will. 
I don't know what you found or what your story is. And I mentioned how last week, when we talk about baptisms, the story is often, here's how I used to live and then Jesus, and here's who I am now. And what we find in Jesus is what we call salvation. What does salvation mean? It means dealing with the issue of sin that breaks us, that we can't earn our way out of sin, can't over measure the good from the bad. And I've explained this many times before, what it requires for you and I is forgiveness because of a savior. That what Jesus did was pay the price that you and I could be forgiven. I've said before that you and I can have a clean slate, a new start, and many of us in this room have prayed that prayer. Jesus, I believe you paid the price on the cross for me. I believe you died and rose again so that I could have life. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart. I want to serve you. I surrender to you. I believe it's the most important decision anyone could ever make. But here's the thing. What happens is we misunderstand it if we believe the message is for us and that we can enjoy it and appreciate it and live out our days and die and go to heaven. It's missing the point. Somebody years ago once said it this way, the local church is the hope of the world. Now, that's not to remove Jesus from who he is, but it's this, that you and I are the ambassadors. You and I are the ones that carry the message of Jesus. In Jesus' day, in John 11 and 12, it wasn't the disciples owning the message. It was other people come see Jesus. If this world who doesn't really know who Jesus is was trying to describe Jesus, there are all kinds of ways. And somebody has said he was a great teacher. So many people have said he, he was a, a perfect example of how to live, to, to, to live a life. He would say all kinds of things about being a good person. But C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's a liar because some of the claims that he made about being God himself aren't true. Or he's a lunatic. He thinks they're true. Jesus had a Messiah complex. Because people who say that either directly lying, they're a lunatic, or it's the third option. They're the Lord of heaven and earth. C.S. Lewis says there's no room for any other explanation. You can't just say he's a good teacher. He's a great example. Why do I bring this up? Because over and over we can talk about, I can't help it. But when you look at the scriptures, there's supposed to be something that happens in the life of a follower of Christ that compels us to go, I can't help but want to shine light towards those that are in my life. And God has given each one of us unique windows of relationship and opportunity that nobody else in this room would have. I've said before, and we say it all the time, God has placed you in the family you're in on purpose. And some of you go, I don't like my family. Too bad. God has placed you where you live. And you go, well, I'm looking to move. Well, while you're there, when you go to work, you have a platform I don't have. The friendships you have, most of you, I don't have all the same friendships. See, God has uniquely put you in a place not just to live out your days as a normal person, but as somebody who's meant to carry the light as an ambassador, to live in such a way that people go, what is that about you? That you go through all kinds of certain things. How many in here would say you're a follower of Christ? 
Okay, most of us would. If you say you're a follower of Christ, how many would say since becoming a follower of Christ, you've been through hell and high water? Okay, many of us were not exempt from difficult things just because we're followers of Christ. But what matters is in the midst of those circumstances that we hold on to our faith. And sometimes, man, we are holding on tooth and nail. We're doing all we can to get through, but nevertheless, we get through. And people watch. People see how you handle it. And when you can lean in and turn to God, I need you and pray on your knees weeping. And when you can cry out to the heavens and when you can talk to others that help give you perspective and when you can walk through it, not thinking you're void from it because you're a follower of Jesus, but that it's part of how life goes in a fallen world, people go, how did you do that? And it's an open door and opportunity to shine light. It's an open door and opportunity to help people understand why your faith matters. Revelation 12, uh, verse, I think 11, 10, 11, it says this, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, okay, by what Jesus has done for us and by the word of our testimony. Your story matters. Why your faith is your faith matters. And there is a world out there that needs to hear you say it. And, and I'm all about shining light, being an example, walking in grace. You know, here other people go, well, why are you religious, whatever. And, 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 but, but you've got to figure out how to tell your story. See, one of the things about this trip we went on in, in Pedernales as a, as a missions team, 21 of us, I mean, it was an incredible trip and, and, and all the work and the unity and, and all that God did really was profound. And I think if you ask anybody that went, they, they would share that as well. But one of the things that we do at the end of every day is called the debrief. We, we talk about, so let's talk about our day. What did you learn that you never knew before? Who did you meet that you, you, you've never known before? You know, what, what, what is the first experience you've never had before in your life until today? Let's talk about it. But then I also ask this question to the team. I said, I, I would love for everyone to share throughout this week. You're here on a mission trip. Here's your life. You've lived a bunch of years. How did you get here? What's going on? What's your story? And it's kind of a wide open question. But what happens is though in those moments is people share why their faith matters. People share how they've been shaped and, and what God has done and what God continues to do. And for some people, what God was even doing in the moments of us being on the trip. And it's profound. And I would say this, and I think everybody on the team would, would agree that the enemy was defeated in those moments. The reminder of what God has done. That, that for you and I to receive the grace of God and appreciate forgiveness, but then realize a stirring passion in us to share that message with others is part of you and I together owning the Great Commission. We are serious about the saving work of Jesus Christ. This isn't a club. This isn't a, 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 you know, a society. This is an organization of people that the Bible defines as ecclesia, the gathering of people called out from one system to another system that centers around Jesus. The central figure of our faith is not you, it's not me, it's not music, it's not the pastor, it's Jesus. That's the central focus of who we are and always will be. Why? Because that's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find grace. That's where we find hope, life, peace, strength, discernment, a different way to live than the system of this world that we used to be part of. And it doesn't make us somehow better than others, but it should give us a heart for others to understand the message of the gospel. Jesus paid the price 
so that we could find life. It's found nowhere else. See, as you you look at the story of, of what we call sort of Palm Sunday, it was the crowd who over and over was talking about it. And sometimes the problem in our lives is we're not talking about it. But we're supposed to. And we can all go, oh boy, I don't know how, whatever. You need to figure out how to tell your story. You need to figure out how to walk through why your faith matters. Because inevitably somebody will ask you, oh, you're one of those religious people, right? However they say it. Oh, you got religion. Or oh, you're, you go to church. Or oh, you're a Christian. Do you know what the word Christian means? Some of you are going to be really uncomfortable with this. You know what the word Christian means? Little Christs. And you go, well, I'm not the Messiah. You're right, you're not. But your goal ought to be to glorify him every day. And as you glorify God and that light shines, people go, what is that? Have you ever had that happen? I have had profound conversations with people that go, you're one of those religious people or however they put it. Amazing conversations about why my faith matters. And I'm not pushing the doors down, but I'm watching doors open and having incredible conversations. I love how at the end of this story in verse 19, it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world. That's who Jesus died for. Now we can go the whole world, that's a whole, you know, 8 billion people or whatever. But the truth is this, it's, it's for each individual. Where do you find hope and grace? Only It's in Christ. Paul says it to the church at Rome. If you're taking notes, write down Romans 10. Paul says it this way, but what does it say? And he's compelling those that would call themselves Christians. So he's talking to many of us in this room. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And again, Paul is trying to compel the reader, having written all of this letter we call Romans, this systematic letter dealing with who Jesus is and why and and legalism and old covenant and new covenant, all the way to chapter 10, where he says, if you're a follower of Christ, it is in you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's right there on the tip of your tongue. And this is what he says. It's the message concerning the faith we proclaim. If you... Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, which we're going to party next week about it, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then he goes on. So it doesn't end there. It says, Scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Great verses. You should remember, they're incredible. But then he says this. How then can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you might take off your socks and look at your feet and go, yuck. And that's not what we're talking about. Paul says this whole message of who Christ is is for every one of you that call yourself Christian to own. 
That the epitome of church world, religion, spirituality is not I received it and it feels good and I get to heaven. It's that I receive it and I appreciate it and then I live it out by glorifying God as I live out my life. And people inquire and sometimes I get to share. There is no shame in people when you show up at work on Mondays talking about what they did on Friday and Saturday night. There is no shame in the exploits and the headaches and the hangovers and, and whatever happened on Saturday night that they can brag about. And here you and I are, and they, they inquire, what did you do? And you're like, oh, I just kind of hung out and I did kind of this church thing on Sunday and I was sitting out here. <laughs> you know why? Because you haven't prepared yourself to share your faith. You're not ready. And yet, what do we see in the book of Acts? We've shared this for a little bit now, and you're going to hear it again today. You have Jesus who, when he's being crucified, the disciples run away afraid of their lives, afraid for their lives. And Jesus dies, and the disciples are kind of remorseful, and man, what do we do, and all this stuff. And then Jesus shows up after he's been killed. So pretty big miracle. And then um, I love how one pastor says, you know, if, if a guy says he's going to die and raise from the dead and then does it, you should probably listen to what he has to say. Right? So there you go. Anyway, so he, he shows up to the disciples and they're like, oh my word. And Thomas is like, no, for real, come on. I want to see him. And Jesus is like, ta-da. And you put your hands here, you touch me. We're good. And, and Thomas at that point, like falls to his knees in worship. And it's like, my Lord and my God. It's a, it's a moment of worship. Okay. Again, Jesus is the savior. So then he appears a bunch of times to a group of over 500 people. But the disciples teaches them, challenges them. You get to Acts and he says, wait and pray. I got to go. And I've said before, he ascends into heaven. They're waiting and praying. And it says 120 of them had gathered. They're, they're praying during a feast called Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2. And it says there were this violent wind and, and tongues of fire. And they were speaking in tongues. And the whole group that had gathered for Pentecost and their Jewish festival, first fruits uh, gathering, they had gathered for that and they're freaking out. And Peter stands up and says, this is Jesus. He's not dead, he's alive. It's what Joel said. And, and, and you guys, th this is for real. He is the savior. And the crowd goes, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, right? And it says 3,000 were added to their number. They continued to meet together. They were being discipled. They were breaking bread together. They were learning about Jesus. They were walking this journey. Acts chapter three, a little bit of logistics in church, deacons being chosen. And then they go to the temple, Peter and John. And some guy's like, hey, you got any cash? You got any money? And his legs don't work. And Peter and John look over at him and, and, and Peter's like, I don't have any cash, but I got some healing. Get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. People freak out. People come running. The whole story begins to spread. Again, they're telling people about what's up and the religious leadership find out and they bring in Peter and John. And what do they do? Well, well what have you done? And Peter's like, we didn't do it. Jesus did it. And they're like, him again? Like, yes. And they're bold. And they're different. And the religious crowd says this, I want you to shut up. Stop talking about it. And what is their response? We can't help it. What if you and I got to a point in our lives where we just can't help it? That we want people to know Jesus so bad. I'm going to confess something to you that, that feels a little bit uncomfortable. Six, seven weeks ago in our life, we were having these conversations and my wife talked about it a couple weeks back about our identity. And I went on this journey that week of, man, Lord, what is my identity? Now, there's all kinds of ways to define that. And for 31 years of being in Jesus, we could talk about, and I've said it before, like I'm, I'm God's child, Christ's friend, all those things are great and it's true. But I'm like, Lord, what do you have to say to me about who I am? 
And the Lord said this, and again, this feels weird, vulnerable to say this, but I felt like the Lord said, you're a life bringer. Now, I, I, I was like, okay, I don't like how that's phrased. Is there another way to put it? That's what I thought forever. I was like, life bringer, huh? But here's what hit me. For the last little while, because in our life we were talking about, man, we're supposed to carry ourselves with joy and hope. That I really hadn't been carrying myself that way. That most of the time for a while now, I feel more burdened by um, the responsibilities of life and by, by certain things that can kind of stress me out. And, and I said, you can talk about like a dad, husband, pastor, just community stuff. I was just feeling, and I, there wasn't a lot of joy. But I remember this, and I'm gonna share just a tiny bit here. When I gave my life to Christ, um, I've said before, like, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to like go to Hollywood. I'll just try out for stuff and eventually hopefully get a sitcom or some movie or whatever. And the whole thing behind that, just to be transparent, was this. I love the idea of, of checking out of life sometimes and taking 30 minutes to laugh or an hour and a half or whatever to watch a movie and forget about all the responsibilities and just watch and laugh or whatever. And I'm like, I want to do that for people. But when I gave my life to faith in Christ, not long after that part of my journey, my heart was this. If Jesus is for real, it's way better than an hour and a half. It's way better than 30 minutes. And so it's, it's really brief, but that's, that's kind of my story of realizing I want to help people understand Jesus. But what I love is this. Six weeks ago, God reminded me of it. That my goal in life all the time is just to bring life wherever I go because I want to represent Christ. And that was my passion 30-ish years ago. And I need that to continue to be my passion today that I don't forget why I do this. And I love it, by the way. But I realized that for a while, it just wasn't there. And for the last six weeks, God, what does it look like for me to bring life wherever I go? And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, through the Holy Spirit, carry myself differently. Yes, stresses are still there. Yes, the weight of life still happens. Yes, there's moments where I can't do this, Lord. But at the end of the day, it's leaning into God. Who have you called me to be? Because you could say, well, you're a pastor. You have to own the Great Commission. Kind of true. But it's not just pastors. It's every one of us. Who God has challenged you to be that you help own and fulfill the Great Commission because it's ours together. In John 11 and 12, people were talking. What does it look like in your world for people to talk? What platform has God given you and I talk about these contexts all the time, where you work, where you live, the family God has placed you in, and the friendships God has uniquely given you. To glorify him every day in all of those means that people are drawn to who Christ is, and it's for all of us to own. Amen? Jesus, today, there's so much, there's so much more to this conversation, but my prayer is just simply this, that we own the serious work that what you've done for us is a huge deal and that the saving work of Jesus Christ matters not just for us but to the world that we care about the world that we want to know you Father help us to live that out not just here to enjoy it and experience it God but to go out and shine it where we go to own it where we go and to learn how to talk about it to share our story and I pray Throughout this week, you would continue to challenge people what that means, especially leading up to a celebration like Easter where other people that we know, hey, come on, check this out. Just be there with me. That God, you would do a work in all of us serious about the saving work 
of Jesus Christ. Help us walk that out together. It's in your name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.